Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 25. The book of 1 Samuel chapter number 26 rather. 1 Samuel chapter number 26. And we're continuing with the life and ministry of David. Now remember what has previously happened before is that David has been on the run from King Saul. God had promised David that he would be king. But instead of being king, he's wandering around the wilderness. He's fleeing for his life. He's running from his master, Saul, who has gathered 3,000 men to kill him. Previously we saw them as David was hiding in the caves of Engedi that Saul came after him and Saul went into one of the caves that David and his men were hiding and they're all standing against the wall in the dark and Saul comes in and begins to rest and David sneaks up and cuts some of the skirt off and then when Saul leaves, David comes out and says, Master, I'm not trying to harm you. And he submitted himself before Saul. And Saul, of course, made a big appeal and cried and said he was wrong, that David was right, and he went away. Then we saw David as his men dealt with Nabal. And remember, Nabal's name means fool. And he interacted with Abigail. And even though we go through this kind of quickly, I want to remind you that David is running from Saul, that David is in the wilderness for about 12 years. And so it's not a matter of months that, you know, he falls out with Saul and he hides out and runs away for a couple of months. For 12 years... He's hiding in caves. For 12 years, he is running for his life. For 12 years, God told him that he was going to be king, and he is so far from being king. For 12 years, he doesn't have a home. For 12 years, he's away from Jerusalem, from any of the places. For 12 years, he's in the desert. Could you imagine 12 years waiting on a promise of God? For 12 years waiting. God said you're going to be king. And you're at the place saying how? How in the world could that even happen? Oftentimes people will say why? Do you know that the Bible never answers the question why? Never. It always answers the question why with the answer who? Who? It is God. That God is always good and God is always right. So with that in mind, let's continue with the adventures of David and then look with me in the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 26. 1 Samuel chapter 26 and notice with me in verse number 1. And the Ziphites came unto Saul to Gibeah and say, Doth not David hide himself on the hill of Hikalah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hekai, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. 
David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the captain of his host. And Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched around about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zurah, the brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench. And his spear struck in the ground at his boister. But Abder and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God had delivered thine enemy into thy hand this day. Now therefore, let me smite him, I pray thee, with a spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. David said to Abishai, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall, er, shall smite him, or the day shall come to die, or he shall descend to battle and perish. God forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take now the spear at his boister and the cruise of oil and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's boister and they get them away. And no man saw it, for, nor knew it, neither awakened, for they were all asleep. Because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood on top of a hill afar off, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and Abner the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? And David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? Who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy Lord the king? For there come one of the people in to destroy the king thy Lord. This thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, you are worthy to die. Because you have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the cruise of oil that was at his boister. And Saul knew David's voice and said, is that thy voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, O Lord, O King. And he said, Wherefore doth my Lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord hath stirred thee against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. For they have driven me out of this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not thy blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel is come to seek out a flea, as one doth hunt a portage in the mountains." Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because thy soul was precious in thy eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold, the king's spear, let one of the young men come over and fetch it. 
And the Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today. But I would not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes. So let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David, thou shalt... Both do great things and also shall prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. And if you don't mind, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to give you the title of the message later on. And so if you could abide with me now and then we'll hit the title of the message a little bit further into this. As for now, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. I thank you that we could come up to you and that you could speak to us. I'm thankful that we could trust in your word and that you could direct us. I'm thankful that we could depend upon you and you will never fail us. I'm thankful that you're a God who is always good and that you're always right. And as we come and hit this important spiritual principle, that it would be a help to everyone, no matter what they're going through, whether it's good or bad, no matter what situation they find themselves, that the principle we hit tonight would be something that doesn't leave them, that stays with them, and gives them the help they need in their darkest times. I'm asking, Lord, that you do what you can only, only you can do, and that's be God. Be a blessing to your people. Fill me with your precious spirit tonight and show your love once again to these good folks, to how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you don't mind, the first part here, I'm just going to tell you the story. That David, once again, is hiding in the wilderness and Saul hears that David's out there. His bitterness starts to act up once again and he goes out searching for David. 3,000 men are out with Saul to go find little old David. Well, David hears that Saul is coming, so he sets up spies so they can kind of keep track of where Saul is at. David finally has enough men to be able to set out a spy system. And sure enough, they see where Saul has parked his troops. And to keep Saul safe, what they've done is they put him into like a trench, almost like a... Um, um, the ditch off the side of the road type thing. Just somewhere where he'd be out of the way, not easily seen. And so someone comes back to David and said, there's where they're at. So David goes out in the middle of the night, looks out, and something strange has happened. There's no guards. There's no sentries. There's no parties. There's no late night. They're all asleep. Now we see that God is the one that put him to sleep. That God's the one who put a deep sleep on everyone. And so this is a supernatural thing. But everyone is asleep. Could you imagine that? David's men are getting excited. It was one thing to be in a cave. But now everyone's asleep. You could sneak in and sneak out and no one would be the wiser. So David goes up and says, all right guys, who wants to go with me? And Abishai says, oh, me, me, I'll go with you. So David doesn't take a bunch of people. After all, you don't want to wake people up. So David and Abishai sneak in. You can almost see them tiptoeing in and trying to sneak around people and go around their bodies. And they go all the way up to Saul. And there's Saul sleeping. And beside him is that spear. Saul's spear shows up everywhere. 
When Saul's listening to music, he's twirling that spear. When he's eating meals, he's got that spear. No matter where he goes, he has that spear. It is his favorite weapon. And so he's sleeping, and sure enough, that spear is put right in the ground next to him just so he, he could grab it just in a, in a moment's time. So there's the spear. Abishai goes to David and said, David, look, God delivered him. There he is, David. Let me do it. I'll take Saul's spear. I'll put it there and I'll put it to the ground and I won't need a second time. I'll drive it through. Let's, let's waste him. This is our chance. And you can almost see them whispering and almost sign language through it. They don't want to wake anybody. You're in the middle of an army. Everyone's sleeping. The last thing you want to do is wake them up. Let me get him, David. And David says, no. What do you mean no? What do you, why are we here? No. He says, if God wants him dead, we're going to let God kill him. Either God will smite him. Either he'll die of old age. He'll, um, he'll go to battle. Something will happen. But that is God's business to take care of the enemies. I'm not touching God's anointed. God's the one who placed him king. I'm not going to do it. And you're not going to do it. Well, then what are we doing here? So David says, what we'll, we will do is to prove a point. Let's take Saul's spear. I mean, this Saul loves that spear. He's always playing with that spear. And let's take his water jug, all right? And let's uh, take that. So they sneak off, and they go way far away and go to a hill. And David kind of hides up on a rock overlooking. And finally, it's still in the middle of the night. He starts going. But he doesn't address the king. He addresses the, chi the uh, chief of staff, the, the uh, general of all of Saul's armies, Abner. And he starts yelling at Abner, hey, Abner, wake up. The guy says, who's yelling at me? Don't you know the king's down here? Abner, I thought you were a valiant man. The word valiant carries the idea of a veteran, someone who has experience. I thought you were a valiant man. You're in charge of taking care of the king and you're sleeping on the job. Everyone else is asleep. And you are not doing your job. He says, you are worthy of death because you are not protecting your master, the king, God's anointed. You're worthy to die. Before Abner can really get into an argument with David, Saul goes, is that you, David? Is that you? And David says, it's me. What are you doing? Well, look and see if you got your spear there. My spear's gone. He says, I got it. He kind of holds it up. and He says, I'm letting you know I was down there. I could have killed you and got away with it. Nobody would have known because your guard wasn't doing his job. Saul starts crying like a baby again. I'm so sorry. You're good. I'm bad. And starts talking and repenting and says, all right, David, I'm sorry. I know God's with you. I shouldn't have chased you. He already did this two chapters before doing all this. He's already said he'll never chase David again. And guess what he's doing? He's chasing David. And so they go through all of this. David says, hey, don't forget your spear. Get a young man to come over here. Give him the spear. Go back. We'll go our ways. So Saul leaves. So once again, we have this account of David sneaking in. God, he could have killed Saul, but he chose not to. But I want you to go back. He knows that Saul's going to come after him again. 
He knows that God had told him he was going to be king. But he is so far away. He's in the wilderness. If you're supposed to be the king, what are you doing in the wilderness? Well, that's a good question. Do you ever think that David's sometimes crying at his bed? And by the way, David did cry. The Psalms speak about that. Do you think there's some times he looked back and looked at his situation and maybe was a little bit frustrated? Do you think maybe there's some times that he had the pit in the stomach and said, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how we're getting out of this. You ever think about what David finally thought about his situation? Well, I'm glad you thought about it. I'm glad you asked because the Bible records it. If you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. And as we've been going through the life of David and we've been putting the Psalms associated with it, I want you to look at the title of Psalm 18 as you come by. Now, as you're turning there, maybe I could give you some facts and figures that God repeats what is found in Psalm 18 once again in 2 Samuel 22. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because there are 1,189 chapters of the Bible. Okay, so there's 1,189 chapters of the Bible. But God sees Psalm 18 so important that he takes 2 Samuel 22 to repeat the same exact psalm in its entirety. This isn't a small psalm, it's a long psalm. And God is placing emphasis twice. Now if God repeats something, that means it's important. And God is putting emphasis on this psalm. Notice the title of it. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song, the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, and it goes on the psalm. So this is exactly what David said to to God. So remember in the middle of the night, he snuck out, took the spear, talked it to Saul. It was still in the middle of the night. That day when David gets away and he talks by himself, he sings this psalm. So what does he say about this psalm? Well, because it's a longer psalm, we're not going to go through it verse by verse. But I want you to go to Psalm 18 and notice with me and start in verse number 30. Psalm 18 and verse number 30. And notice what it says in 30, verse 30 to 32. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to those that trusted him. For who is God save the Lord? Who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find? In the book of Psalm 18. Psalm 18, and notice with me in verse number 30. And as for God, his way is perfect. You understand this is a spiritual principle that every single one of us need. When David is out in the wilderness being chased by Saul, God's way is perfect. When David is in the palace of the king, his, God's way is perfect. When David is facing Goliath, God's 
way is perfect. When David is in a fight with a bear and a fight with a lion over one of the lambs, God's way is perfect. Well, you say, well, that's good for David. You understand that when your electricity goes out, God's way is perfect. When you have car problems, God's way is perfect. When you get sick, God's way is perfect. When the sun is shining, God's way is perfect. You understand, even the way we speak, we don't sound like we believe that. For example, someone will say, how you doing? And you say, God has been so good to me lately. And you tell all the blessings. And praise the Lord, we're supposed to share his blessings. But we almost have the connotation that God is only good to us when good things happen to us. Do you understand that God is good to us when bad things seem to happen to us? His way is perfect. Tomorrow, some of the kids in here have tests tomorrow. Let me tell you something. His way is perfect. If it decides to snow tomorrow, His way is perfect. You understand, we may not agree with God's way, but it doesn't make it any less perfect. It doesn't make it any less what God desires to have. Do you understand that God knows more than we do? God has more information than we do. He knows exactly what is necessary to get us from point A to point B. When God anointed David king, why didn't he just make him king then? Why didn't he just kill Saul and say, get it over with. Here you go, David, you rule. Get rid of all this. Well, why? Because God needed David to go through some of these things, first of all, to give us scripture. A lot of these were written down in those years that he was running. Psalm 18 was. Another thing was so David could learn to trust God for himself. His way is perfect. So if you don't mind, all that was introduction. Let me get to the message now from Psalm 18. We know the historical content. Let us hit now some things from Psalm 18. Understanding that his way is perfect. The first thing I want to bring to your attention is that our God delivers. Our God delivers. Notice with me in Psalm 18 and verse 1. Psalm 18 and verse 1. It says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my God, my strength and whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Notice if you don't mind in verse number one and two, all the personal pronouns, my my, my. And look as David is relating to God all the things that God does for him. We see here that our God delivers. Verse number one, oh Lord, my strength. You know where we get our strength from? God. You know where we can get strength from when we need it? From God. Verse number two, the Lord is my rock. What is a rock? It is something that you're able to set something on so it doesn't seek in the sound. It's a firm foundation. You know when you feel like your life is topsy-turvy and you're seeking down? You know what you need? You need a rock. 
It says, my rock, my fortress. What is a fortress? It's a castle. It's a defendable area. When you're getting to the place where you feel like everyone's attacking you, you know what you need? A fortress. God is my fortress. Verse number two, he is my deliverer. What is a deliverer? He's someone who brings you salvation in a... <coughs> Not just in a spiritual way, but dealing with the idea he'll save you out of the situation you're in. He's my deliverer. Verse number two again. My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God. There are some times you just need God. I need God. And he is my God. He is my God. He is my strength. We've explained the strength before. We need strength. When you need strength, when you feel weak, when you don't have the, the, the energy to take another step, you need God. He's your strength. He is <laughs> my strength, whom I will trust. My buckler. What is a buckler? It's kind of an idea of a shield. When you need the shield of faith, he is my shield. He'll protect you. He is the horn of my salvation. You know where we get our salvation from? From the Lord. He is my high tower. A high tower was something that when you were being chased, you could run to a high tower and get protection. A high tower was something you ran to. And there are sometimes we need to run. And when we run from the situation, we run to God. Not to anywhere else. He's where we run to when we can't face things ourselves. We see that God is our deliverer. That God's way is perfect. You think that God puts things in your path to make you run to him? Are there some things that God puts you in your way that you can't handle? There's a, a, a verse in the book of Corinthians that many people misquote. They say the idea that God will never give us more than I can handle. That does not what it says. It says that he will not give you more than you can handle without a way of escape. Meaning that God often will give you more than you can handle just so you can't handle it. So you have no other choice but to run to God. That's where God wants you. If you think you can handle it, you don't need God. If you think you're strong enough to carry it, you won't need God. You'll try to do it yourself. And as long as you think you're strong enough, you will do it yourself. And that's not what God wants. You understand there are some times that God has to put things in our life just so we run to him. He wants us to trust in him. But we are so stubborn so self-centered, so prideful that we think we can muster through and carry it out until we can't handle it no more and we say, God, help me. When we could have saved ourselves a lot of heartbreak and a lot of trouble if we just went to God and stayed to him in the first place instead of trying to carry this Christian life all by ourselves. Verse number three, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so I shall be saved from my enemies. You understand, no matter what you go through, the solution is just this simple. I will call upon my Lord. I'll just ask him. I'll go to him and I'll cry to him and he will give you grace. Oh, I'm so thankful for grace. Do you understand there are some times that God, you, people have the idea that God is like a genie God, I need help. And then you look around and everything's gone. Woo! There's sometimes that God wants to go with you to face your... He'll give you grace. You think of Moses, who was a deliverer. He was an answer to prayer. People were praying, God, deliver us. And God says, all right, here's Moses. Why didn't God kill Pharaoh? Because he wanted to go with them 
to face the Pharaoh. God wants to show himself that he is bigger than everything else. So he goes with you to face it. So many times we'll say, God help me. And then we see the thing and we shrink back and cry and run back away. And God says, I was going to take care of it for you, but I want to go, you to go with me. Let's go together. God doesn't uh, just snap his fingers and make everything goes away. But he gives us grace and he goes with us with his presence. And as long as you have God's presence, you could face anything that needs to be faced. God is our deliver. We're talking about the idea that as for God, his way is perfect. And the first thing we understand here is that our God delivers. Notice with me in verse number 19, and we see a second thing here. <laughs> Psalm 18 in verse 19. It says, he brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me, which we just talked about, because he delighteth in me. He delighteth in me. Not only does our God deliver, but our God delights. Our God delights. I'm going to read you a psalm really quick, or a proverb really quick. Proverb 3. We're going to stay here in Psalm 19, but Proverb 3. And let me teach you something here. Proverb 3 and verse 12, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. Why does a parent correct their child? Because they love them. Because they delight in them. Because they want them to do what's right. Why does God do things in our life? Is it because he hates us? Does God think all night while you're sleeping and says, I just hate her. I, I, I hate her. I want her to suffer today. Let me think, what kind of things can I set up today to make her suffer? Is that what our God does? Our God is perfect. And our God puts things in our life because he delights in us. Could it be that God wants more for us than what we realize? Is that what a child does? A child has their own way of doing things, right? You give an average child the freedom to do whatever they want. They get the TV, a box of cereal without any milk and just kind of eat away and watch TV, maybe get some pizza, and they won't move for days. And they're happy. This is great. Greatest vacation ever. I didn't leave anywhere. You understand that a parent wants more for a child than for them to watch TV for the rest of their life. You know, a parent wants more for their child than just watch their child just kind of coast. <clears throat> a, a parent who delights in their child wants the best for them. And so there are some times that a parent will challenge the child. Maybe there's sometimes a parent will give some things that the child does not think is good to help the child. May I give an example? Go wash dishes. What child wants to go wash dishes on their own? I mean, it may be nice specialty once in a while, but that's your permanent chore to wash dishes. <sighs> the child may think it's the worst thing ever assigned to them. But why does a parent do that? Is it because a parent wants free slave labor? It's because they want their child to achieve more. 
They want them to do more. And so the parent gives challenges, gives something to the child that the child does not want for themselves. Child, go mow the lawn. Go take out the trash. Why are they doing it? Is it because the parent wakes up early in the morning, watches that child sleep and says, how can I torture this child today? I got to think of some way to make this child miserable. Dishes. Ha ha. <laughs> Clean your room. Why does a ch- parent do that? Because they delight in the child. Why does God do things in our life like make the car blow up? Or the air conditioner to go down? Have the guy cut you off because he delights in you. And he's trying to give you something to make you more than what you currently are. That's exactly what David, God is doing with David. Is God thinking for 12 years, hmm, I got to really torture David. So for 12 years, let's make it horrible for you. Let's go out in the desert where it's hot, no air conditioner, running for your life, always scared. I know that will bring me great joy. And you think God's watching that and said, yes, I got him now. Why did God do that? Because he delighted in David. You understand, as for God, his way is perfect. And God is trying to work with you just like you work with a child to, because you want more for them than what they want for themselves. God wants more for you in your life than what you want for yourself. He knows exactly how to do it. He is the perfect father. Us parents, we're trying to do the best we can with the principles we have. But he knows exactly what it's going to take to make you the man or the woman of God he desires you to be. Now, we could fail those tests and still shipwreck ourselves. But everything that God puts in your life is because he delights in you. So the good and the bad, you know, sometimes we need to say, someone, how are you doing? Well, let me tell you, God has been so good to me. My tire went flat and I got holes in my shoes and my clothes don't fit that well. God has been so good to me. Wouldn't that still be a true statement? Absolutely. You see, God is not good just when good things happen to you. God is good when bad things happen to you because he delights in you. As for God, his way is perfect. We see that our God, he delivers. Our God He delights. But notice if you don't mind, there's one other thing that we see in Psalm 18. We see, notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number 22. Psalm 18 and verse 22. For his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. What we see here is our God directs. Our God directs. Again, verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. How was God guide us? Verse 22, his judgments, his statutes. Verse 30, his, the word of God. That's the Bible. You know how God directs you in his life and your life? By his word. How can he guide us by his word? Because his word is perfect. His word is perfect. 
And His Word can direct us in the way that we ought to go. His Word can give us the encouragement we need, the direction we need, the answers we need. As for God, His way is perfect. We could depend upon Him. We could trust in Him. May I put a warning, if you don't mind? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 14. And this one I want you to turn to because I want you to mark this one if you don't have it marked. Proverbs 14. We know that our God delivers, our God delights, and our God directs. He uses the word of God to guide us, to move us where we're supposed to go. We, you cannot live the Christian life without God's word. You need God's word to direct you, to move you. It is the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to be in the word of God for yourself. And not just read it to check it off, but to read it to seek after God, to look for him, to read it for yourself. It is not a sermon book. It's not a book so you can get ready for your Sunday school class. It is something for you to get a hold of God and to get a hold of him. Notice with me in Proverbs 14, and let me show you the warning, the opposite to all of this. Verse number 12, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. As for God, his way is perfect. As for us, there's a way that seemeth right to a man, but you know what it ends up to? Destruction, death, pain, falling apart. You understand that you don't have enough information. It may feel right to you. And that's where we get, get off on. That's it's where we get messed up is when we feel. Well, I feel that this is the way I ought to go. Well, what does God's word say about this? Well, I feel. You understand that we can go on the wrong path by thinking this is the way I ought to go and not trusting God. And we could bring consequences and destruction to ourselves because his way is perfect and we've gone out of his way. You see, it comes down to the idea of recognizing that everything that God does in your life is perfect. There's nothing that God allowed in your life that he did not check off on. You know, it's kind of humbling to think that there are sometimes God withholds consequences of actions and sometimes God allows consequences. There are some times that you and I have sinned and messed up pretty bad and God kept back consequences. And there are some times we messed up and God allowed the consequences. Why is that? Because his way is perfect. Why does it allow some things to happen in our life from other people's consequences? Because his way is perfect. Now, someone may say, well, does that mean that God... Uh, overrules our will no let me tell you what God is is that God is so smart is that it's almost like playing chess with a grandmaster against a monkey you are free to make whatever move you want but God is smart enough to figure out how to be get his way in the end and so you say no I want my way God says move a piece here and says all right this will direct you the way that you're supposed to go He could do that. He is smart enough to know exactly what we need and when we need it to bring him to himself. Now, we just need to stop resisting. We need to recognize that God is smart enough to know what he's doing. And not only does he, <laughs> is he smart enough, we understand that our God delivers. We could run to him at any time. He wants us to the place where we're trusting in him and say, God, I can't live this life without you. And he says, that's where I wanted you at. We need him. 
He wants us at the place where we realize he delights in us. God does not want you tortured because he's bored, because he has something else to do, or because he hates you. He loves you more than you could ever know. He loves you enough to allow things in your life because he loves you. And then our God directs. He uses the word of God. He uses circumstances. He uses uh, mature Christians to help guard you and direct you to the way that you're supposed to go. And as we yield to him and we look at him and we realize how great he is, we realize that as for God, his way is perfect. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.